Well, good morning. I'm Fred Holcomb. I'm the music pastor here. We're glad you've joined us this morning. Uh, we've decided to start the service off a little differently this morning, and uh, our handbell group hasn't played in a while, and they're going to share with us uh, now to open our service, and then you'll hear from uh, Pastor Adam uh, as we uh, continue, and then we'll hear from them again in a little while. So the handbell's playing, There's a Bomb in Gilead.
Thank you for that. As we come into the season that we're entering into is uh, thinking about uh, what comes at the end of this year and all this. There's a lot of things that uh, we're reminded of and the, the, the gratefulness of our hearts. And uh, also, as that song declares the, the relationship we have in Christ and the hope that we possess in him, I appreciate their hard work in presenting that. We welcome you here this morning. Glad that you're with us. And uh, we've got a lot of things happening in the service this morning and as well as we're in this month of October. This is our missions emphasis month. And so we're hoping that as we go through this month, it'll remind us not only of uh, those that are in a global setting, but also our responsibility here to be reaching people for the cause of Christ, for the gospel's sake, and that we might be ministers of grace to people who need to hear grace. And so I hope that our hearts will be in tune with that. In just a little bit, we'll be hearing from the Arce family, and uh, they were heading back to Venezuela as I was coming in here as pastor. And uh, it's been neat. Our ships passed briefly there uh, in the harbor, so to speak, and uh, we get to hang out with them a little bit today. And he'll be speaking. The family will be sharing. And uh, his wife is even going to step into our children's church time. And uh, we've got them actively involved here today. And then he'll be speaking in our Spanish ministries service uh, after this during the 11 o'clock hour. So it's good to have them here in your bullet and as you came in, there is something inside of that that is this little card here. Uh, and this is uh, a, uh, a prayer reminder for you to recognize those that we support here at Grace. And uh, if you'll notice there, there's quite a few names. And I'm grateful for the mission's passion that Grace holds to. And uh, we have several that uh, we continue to, to pray for and encourage, even in years of retirement, who are still actively involved and uh, supporting ministries where God has placed them. And uh, so this is something for you to have. I hope that you will take a moment and uh, look at that each week pray for them and uh, update your prayer list accordingly and uh, hoping that to God will encourage us to be in prayer for our missionaries that we support and uh, looking forward to what God has in store uh, as we hear from them and updates from them. And so during this time of the month of October, uh, I hope this will be a way also to encourage you in your giving, uh, giving financially as we continue to reach into global places where God has led people that we support and encouraging them. And as we give here, uh, we're able to together give more to them and uh, to encourage them. And so I hope that that is something that you'll consider and think about uh, in the days ahead. As I said, looking forward to hearing from the RCs in just a little bit. But uh, as we get started here this morning, I hope that our hearts will be encouraged, that uh, we will gather here as also an opportunity to worship, to declare uh, our allegiance, our loyalty, but also just our heart heart for Christ and uh, looking forward to be able to worship together this morning. Let's stand together if you would and uh, we're going to just take a moment to pray together. Then following this our choir is going to be singing so you'll be seated again but I thought just stretch your legs let some people who are trying to make their way in uh, find a way to uh, also find a place here this morning and uh, as we open our time here together I hope that we will go together in prayer asking the Lord to encourage our hearts. Let's go to him. Father we're grateful for this morning. Lord, reminded again of your goodness to us. Lord, the ways that you provide and you care and you minister to us. Lord, we're grateful for these that serve in your mission field, Lord, as they go to other places. And we're excited to have the RCs with us here this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll use them to encourage our hearts to not only see our place here, but also to reach our hearts into Venezuela to the people there that so desperately need to hear the gospel. Lord, grateful for the work that's being done. Lord, I pray that you'll knit our hearts with those that are serving. And I pray that we would have such a burden 
that, Lord, we would pray effectively, that we would minister through our giving, but, Lord, that we would even ask our own hearts, Lord, why am I not going? And where is it that you want me? What's my purpose for being here? What am I doing to share the gospel, to live out the gospel, to demonstrate my faith boldly? And so, Lord, use this time in our church, Lord, to reinvigorate our hearts, to refresh our purpose, our sense of identity. And Lord, may we be a church that truly reaches out and is not so focused on being a clique or a club, but Lord, that we're conscious of those that need to hear the gospel, reaching into lives, discipling them once they come to know you, and Lord, making disciples of the people around us. So speak today. I pray that you encourage our hearts. Thank you again for your blessings. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
we preach Christ, our desire, our mission is to point people to Christ, to preach, to tell the gospel, the message of salvation, Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, to proclaim the power that's in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me as we continue worshiping together, as we sing together, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise.
song we want to reflect you that you may be magnified we bless your name today we thank you for so many gifts and blessings that you lavish upon us and we thank you for salvation lord for the cross and for the resurrection for we have hope for eternity in the resurrection we pray those things in jesus wonderful name amen you may be seated
Again, thank you, Handbells, and we appreciate the, the work that goes into this and everything about the, the message and song in a way that pulls us into hearing and listening and thinking about those words, be still my soul, a great reflection of that. It's great to have the RCs with us, and uh, Nathan, you come introduce your family and however you see fit, and uh, I told him he has an hour, so we're good, and uh, no, I did not tell him that long, uh, but uh, at the same time, excited to hear from them again, and every opportunity we have, we hope that you'll come visit with Grace, and appreciate the ministry God's doing, pray for them, and uh, get to know them uh, throughout this day. Brother, you come right ahead, and uh, I'm going to leave this microphone here and ready for you. All right, can you hear me now? All right, it's a privilege to be here once again. Uh, churches change over time, but I've never had a Baptist church go seven Adventist, though. <laughs> I'm sorry, had to say something. Uh, <laughs> uh, to me, grace, or at least uh, I, I think my kids think of it this way, it's, it's our home church in some sense. Every time we had been back furlough, when we returned to the States, we stayed at grace and we stayed at the mission home there, and they're like, our house, what happened with our house? And I'm sure you all are missing your home as well, your, your uh, church home, but uh, it's good to see faces and see people that we've known for several years. I wanna just briefly introduce my family. We'll sing a song, I'll do a video presentation, then I'll try to update you on what we have been doing in the country. And uh, I, I know that may not be common, but even if you have some questions, I would like to be able to answer some of that this morning as well. So I'm going to have my family come up this morning, and I'll introduce them to you as well. So my name's Nathan. This is my beautiful wife, Margie, my oldest daughter, Natalie Joy. She's 16, going on 17 next, next month. Gabriela, she's 14, and my son, Nathan Santiago. And we'll be doing a song for you this morning. We'll be using just this so we can cut. Okay, here we go. We're going to start in Spanish. Sublime gracia del Señor, que un pecador salvó. Amazing grace, my 
So uh, I know this is a church that's known us for a long time. Uh, I believe Grace has been supporting us for around 18 years. Makes me feel old just to say that. But uh, it's uh, a privilege to be here, privilege to be able to update the church on what God has been doing in the country of Venezuela. For those who don't know, uh, I am a third generation church planter in the country of Venezuela. So my grandparents, Wayne and Francis Witherell began their mission work in Peru, then went to Spain as missionaries, and then down to Venezuela and started a ministry down there, camp ministry. Uh, my father is Peruvian, and my mother went down to Peru with my grandfather when she was just a teenager. I had uh, the opportunity to grow up uh, from 15 on in Peru, met my father after coming back from college, and they fell in love and got married in Peru. They ministered there for a while. Uh, if you hear my dad give his testimony, he said he had a friend that lived in Venezuela or that went to Venezuela to work with the oil company and went down to Venezuela and uh, came back after I believe a year, year and a half of working in the country. And my dad met with him in Peru and said, hey, how did it go? And uh, he shared with them about how Venezuela was doing really well. This is several years back. And, uh, but had not seen any churches in Venezuela. So they decided together to pray for Venezuela and pray for missions and for missionaries to go to Venezuela. And there's power in prayer. And uh, as my father prayed and challenged the church in Peru to consider if God would send somebody from this church to go, he felt God tug in his own heart. And he, he'll say it this way, he grabbed onto the pulpit as he looked at his congregation and he's like, no, no, I'm doing good right here, God. I don't need to move anywhere else. But sure enough, my dad decided that this was God's calling. Uh, came to the States, uh, joined Baptist International Mission, started traveling, raising his support. And that's where I was born while my parents were doing deputation here in the United States. So I was born in the U.S. and was two years old when they were able to get their visas to go into the country of Venezuela. So I arrived and I was two years old. I got pictures sitting on the plane, two years old, first flight. And... Uh, had the opportunity just to grow up in the country of Venezuela, homeschooled, so did English my whole life, but lived in the culture with a, a Spanish-speaking father and a Venezuelan culture that spoke Spanish. So both languages came naturally to me. Uh, I uh, made a prayer for salvation when I was around eight years old. Uh, remember at Sunday school class, somebody made an invitation. All my friends went forward. I was the only one that didn't, so felt left out, went forward as well. Uh, after that, I was told I was saved, and I struggled with my salvation a little bit after that. And uh, it wasn't until I was 14 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I was 13 years old. And uh, a group from BIM I was, went down to Venezuela, helped my dad with a building project. And uh, Brother Gary Boffman was there. He was preaching. And he was teaching on serving the Lord. 
and uh, he used an illustration of a tree that had been planted, and it was a tall, grew tall, and it, and it pointed to heaven, and it was a proud tree saying, I, my life has a purpose, I point to Christ, but I want to do more, and so uh, basically he goes on to tell how this tree gets chopped down, and as it, chops, as it gets chopped down, the, the person who chopped it down said, do you really want to serve the Lord? He said, yes, but I, I don't want to be on the floor, I'm, I'm getting all muddy, I was beautiful, but the whole story eventually goes down to him being carved out cut in half and carved out and bringing water to a community. And he illustrated through scripture about service for a 13 year old. I was following this message. This is right down my alley. But at the end, he made an invitation for salvation. He says, perhaps you're not serving God because he is not your Lord and savior. And uh, I was under conviction that night. It was a Wednesday night. And I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was on my way to hell and I knew I needed salvation but was too embarrassed to admit it to my parents or to anybody at church. And as the invitation went on, it got to the point I could not stay in my bench anymore. And I went down the aisle, hoping my parents wouldn't see me, but sure enough, dad and mom are waiting for me at front. Nathan, what are you doing? What are you walking around? Uh, but as soon as my mom saw my face, she could tell I wasn't just goofing off or anything. And, and she walked up to me and looked at my dad like, I got this. And we went upstairs in the church building my dad had. And one of the Sunday school classes, she opened up the word of God and treated me like any other unbeliever. She went through the scripture, explained that I was a sinner, that I was lost, that Christ died for me, and that I, I could invite him into my life and he would forgive my sins. And that night, I remember not only saying, God, I, I, I want to be saved and want to have security of my salvation. I remember that night saying, Lord, I also want to serve you. And I remember asking God with these words, I said, God, if you would open a door in my life, I will go through that door. I will, I will follow your calling in my life and I will do what you asked me to do. So uh, soon after that, uh, it hadn't been a year, a couple of young girls at the church were organizing a new Sunday school class. We were dividing two groups or an age group that was too large and so dividing into two Sunday school class and they were looking for a young boy to work with them I say young boy, I was a young teenager at the time, and uh, they were wanting a, a, a man to work with them at that time. And so they walk up to me and say, Nathan, could you help us in Sunday school class? And I remember being so spiritual, I said, sure, but let me pray about this to see if this is God's will. Uh, I remember going back home, it was Sunday morning when they asked me, and I went, to home, I went home and talked, about, talked with, about it with my parents, and uh, I felt both God and my parents slap me behind my head and go, you're not doing anything, yes, get involved, do something. And uh, so I went back that evening and told them, yeah, I, I would love to. So I was able to get involved with working with six, seven, eight-year-olds for several years. And then the, my dad's church grew and the youth group was from ages 14 through uh, college and career every, all the way up to you getting married. Everybody was just together. So the church was large enough. We had the space now. And my dad just divided uh, 14 through 17 and, and then college and career, but wanted a, a youth pastor at the time. And so I was brought in to do that. And it was a privilege to do that for several years as I worked with the music ministry at church and uh, audio and video. So I relate with several ministries at church. But at, as I did all of these things, I was always fighting God about, God, I'm willing to do anything except for being a pastor. I don't, I don't want to do what my dad's doing. I, I know what he does, and I don't want to do that. I'll help a pastor. I'll help a church. I'll, I'll do anything, but I don't want to do that. I went to Costa Rica uh, with a, a youth ministry there, uh, evangelistic mission work, and we were playing soccer, preaching, 
and uh, one day I played soccer, and halfway we stopped, I preached the gospel, some people raised their hands to be saved, and I, I took this older gentleman to a side and led him to Christ, and he was there hugging me, a 17-year-old, and saying, thank you, thank you for coming to my country and telling me about Jesus. Now, where do I go? So I, I called the leader of the group, and I said, is there a church nearby here? He's like, no, no, there, we couldn't find a good church here to associate with, but we wanted to do evangelism in this place. So I said, you have to find, so I tried to give him some pointers to how to find some good churches, and he, he looked straight at me, and he said, would you come here? Would you come and start a church? And I remember that tug on my heart, and I knew that day, as, as certain as anything else, that God was calling me to plant churches. I saw the need that, that a community has for a local church. And uh, that, that day was clear. And I remember going back to Venezuela and joining the Bible college right at that time. Uh, my, my dad started a Bible institute at a church. And so I joined them. They asked me a question. They said, why are you joining? And it was the first time I had said it out loud. And I said, I want to serve God full time and I want to be a church player. I remember starting to cry as I said it. I had never admitted it to anybody. But I, I believe that was the moment I, I, I came to to peace with God about what God was calling me to do. So uh, continued serving, uh, became the associate pastor of the church. And uh, by then I had gotten married with my wife. My Margie uh, lived about half a block away from my dad's church. And somebody through visitation invited them to church. She came when she was around 15 years old to church. And uh, it was actually for a youth banquet uh, during Christmas. And she heard a, a plan of salvation for the first time. And she got saved and became, began coming to church. And I, I remember I noticed her right away. She didn't remember me. I was shorter than she was. Uh, but then as time went by, she started noticing me. And we, we, we were able to get married and, and have a beautiful family. I'm thankful for her and for the team we, wait, we do together. But anyways, as, as I got married, we came to the States, raised our support. Uh, and we were praying, where in Venezuela, Lord? We were sure it was Venezuela, but didn't know where we were going to start the church. So when I got down to Venezuela, uh, we, we flew in 2007, uh, it was probably like a Wednesday. So Thursday morning, I get a call from a friend I hadn't heard of from a, for several years, and he says, Nathan, I, I'm sick, I'm congested, I'm not feeling very good, and he's a pastor in a town called Kibor, and he says, there's a community about half an hour up into the mountains that have several people from that community have been coming down. And I'm, I'm trying to start something there, but I'm, I'm a little busy right now. As a matter of fact, I told them I would go up to preach and have a Bible study with them tonight, but I'm sick. I can't go. I've tried to f find somebody else to go. And he says this word just like that. He's like, I know you're not doing anything. You just got back yesterday. He says, can you go and do this for me? So feeling cornered, I go, sure, sure, man. I, I'll go up and preach for you. So I call my brother-in-law and I say, hey, I've never been up there. Can you take me? He does. He drives me up the mountains. It was a beautiful drive. And uh, when we got up there, it's a small, very humble community, not too many people. But we get to this small little house, mud, mud house, and a patio, just a tin roof over it, and a couple of chopped up pieces of log and people were sitting. There's probably about eight people there, mostly kids. I'm, I say half of them were kids. And there was a gentleman that was invited. It was the first time he had been at this little gathering that they do there. So I preached to these eight, nine people. And at the end, the man raised his hand. And I walked up to him and shared the gospel with him. And he got saved. And I was like, praise the Lord. 
The family that was hosting their, their house invited me into this house. So I'm walking in. I just come back from the States. And so a little bit of a culture shock, right? As you walk in and you're looking at this house, very humble, very, everything's dirt and everything, but they, they sweep the dirt and it looks so clean inside. I'm not kidding. And looking at everything matches the color, everything's brown, right? And the refrigerator is all rusty and everything, but on the refrigerator is my bright red prayer card. And I go, did I give you that when I got here? And, and they're going, no, no, no. We've been praying for you, Brother R.C. I'm like, really? Where, where did you get it? He says, well, several years back, we went down to Barquisimeto, where your dad has a church. And he was preaching, and he was teaching on missions, and he had a table up front, and he had some information. And on that table was your prayer card. And we asked where you were, and you know, he's in the States. He's raising his support. He'll be back in Venezuela, and he'll be starting a church here. So they took that prayer card, and for two and a half years, they had been praying every day, Lord, bring Pastor Nathan to our town to start a church. So we say goodbye, we get in the car, and I'm looking at my wife and I'm going, this is not what I had in mind. I said, but these people need a church. And I told God, if you open a door for me, I will cross that, I will go through that door. So we did, we started at the open door Baptist church up in the mountains of Venezuela. And I thought to myself, my dad has a Bible, Bible Institute, there's several young men that are being trained I'll try to grab somebody who wants to work up here, work with him side by side, and I'll turn the church over to him in a few years once the church gets up and going. So I invited several people up. Nobody wanted to stay. So I said, well, let's change dynamic. Let's start training. So a, a young man, that, that him and his wife had family in, in the town, and he, he was coming to church. He had been saved. I had discipled him when I was a teenager at my dad's church. And he was living close by, and he started coming. He's a registered nurse or a nurse practitioner, I think you call it. Um, and him and his wife both are. And so they started coming to our church, and I started preparing him. About two years through discipling him and preparing him, he says, I've always had a heart for the Moroccan people. I go, wow, amen. Praise the Lord for that. So I, I really was excited, but I didn't expect that. I was hoping he would stay with the church. So I... I said, sure, we started raising some funds at the church, a very humble church, but we were able to get him to travel and, and do a, a, a mission survey trip in Morocco and come back with his wife. And uh, sure enough, he said, yes, pastor, this is what we have. And so we uh, sent him off to Mexico and there he raised support for a few years, about two, three years. Right now he's in Spain going in and out of Morocco, working with the Moroccan people. His name is Miguel and Sofia. And uh, we praise God for that, for the opportunity to train them. And then I started working with another couple. And I said, Lord, okay, then I'll train this guy. He's been coming faithful to the church, and him and his wife were really involved. He worked at a bank. He looked pretty serious guy. So I started discipling him. And then he, about two years into discipling him, he goes, Pastor, financially, I just can't stay in Venezuela anymore. I have to leave when we're praying about Mexico. I said, amen, praise the Lord for that. And so he moved off, and right now he's pastoring a church in Mexico, and we're thankful for being a part of his life and his training. So I said, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm training five men, five, five men and their wives and their family. I'll work with five of them at the same time. And sure enough, from one of them was a young man who's my wife's younger brother. He had started coming up and visiting with us and helping with the work. And so I said, well, will you take over the youth, as a youth pastor? So he did. He did that well. And then I started taking more interest in him and working with him. And as time left, about 2019, I realized he looked, he looked the church looked at him as a pastor already. We're calling him Pastor Julio and everything. 
So we ordained him as a pastor and came here for our furlough. That's when I met your pastor for the first time. And uh, as we went back at the end of 2019, I came back saying, Lord, what, what do you have us do now? Uh, the church at that, at that time was running about 300 people, uh, had a feeding ministry, had a hospital ministry, had a, a medical clinic at the church that we were doing weekly with people coming to receive free medicine, food, some clothes, just a pretty large ministry going on up in the mountains. And we were thankful for everything God had for us. Uh, I'm a little bit of a movie buff. You won't hear missionaries say this very often, but I, I watched a movie with my kids a long time ago. It was from Nanny McPhee, a modern day uh, uh, Mary Poppins kind of thing. But she said a phrase to the kids. They said, when you don't want me but need me, I'll have to stay. But when you no longer need me but want me, I'll have to go. And as I arrived, I sat and said, Julio, you continue carrying on with church and everything. And I sat in the back and cried week after week because I realized everybody was happy to have us back, but the church really didn't need us anymore. And uh, as my heart really strained because by now, I'm no longer looking for somebody to take over the church. I'm saying, I'm comfortable here, Lord. This, this is where I wanna stay. So we were, down in, we were up in the mountains for 14 years. And right before COVID came, we moved down to the city of Barquisimeto. And uh, then COVID hit, everything stopped. We hadn't told the church that we were leaving yet, but because of COVID, we, we said, let's wait till everything settles down. So while we were in the city, we began praying and visiting. Uh, my youngest son, Santiago, needed some help with his, his homeschool and so forth. So we brought in a lady. She says, what are you doing here, Pastor? Why, why are you here not up in the mountains anymore? And I said, well, we're thinking of starting a church in this area. And she said, would you come to my house? I have a front patio and there I would love to gather and there's a lot of people I can bring around. So we started a Bible study at her house. And uh, then we started a Bible study in another neighborhood at somebody's patio, somebody's back patio. So we had a front patio ministry and a back patio ministry going on. And th those two ministries were growing. Uh, by 2021, I had told the church up in the mountains that I was turning the church over to Julio, that I was now going to start a church plan, and they, they have backed us up, and the church there is still growing and still moving forward, and Pastor Julio is doing an amazing job. Uh, but this new ministry, we're saying, God, how, where would you have us start a church? A family donated some money. We were able to buy a property and get these two Bible studies together for the first time. So on Mother's Day of 2021, no, 2022, we had our first church service. And uh, we had 108 people show up for church. And we were uh, overwhelmed because we had brought 70 chairs. And uh, so God blessed us bigger than our faith was uh, expecting. And so uh, we had a lot of people standing and this was awesome. We had our first church service and, and then we just invested in discipleship and working with marriages. We we're doing a lot of work with couples and uh, a lot of... Uh, couple retreats, but we do it at church. We bring people and teach and disciple one-on-one -on -one afterwards. It's a very interesting ministry that's growing. If you have more questions, I can answer that. But anyways, as the church grew, we, we, we started realizing we need more uh, Sunday school classes. So right now, our biggest project is at the church, we're trying to build five new Sunday school classes for this church and we're gonna to try to uh, build some bathrooms. So I'm gonna show you a video now, a little bit of what's going on, trying to put some pictures. You'll see some pictures and some video of the ministry up in the mountains and a little bit of what we're doing right now 
in uh, the city of Barquisimeto. Last uh, June, which is, we celebrated our first year anniversary, we moved it a month more, uh, we had 260 people at church. So this church is rapidly growing, youth group is growing fast, and they're very excited what, about what God is doing. And we're excited about what God will have for us in the future. What we're planning to do next year is go back to Venezuela and start a Bible college at the church or a Bible institute at the church because we're hoping to be able to train. This is the fourth largest city of Venezuela, and we're hoping to be able to send out a lot of pastors and missionaries from this town uh, all around Venezuela and, Lord willing, around the world. So watch this video, and I hope it's a blessing to you, and then I'll close it up. Venezuela was once the richest country in Latin America. It has the largest known oil reserves in the world, and its democratic government was once praised worldwide. But today, Venezuela's democratic institutions and its economy are in shambles. The country has the highest inflation rate in the world, making food and medicine inaccessible to most Venezuelans. Over the last four years, its GDP has fallen 35%, which is a sharper drop than the one seen during the Great Depression in the U.S. And the country's murder rate has surpassed that of the most dangerous cities in the world. But instead, the opposite has happened. Maduro has consolidated his power, bringing the country closer to authoritarian rule. We are the Arce family, missionaries in Venezuela. Venezuela is a beautiful country, known for its vast riches and resources, but also a country with the highest inflation rate in the world. A country whose people are leaving in exile all around the world and the country isn't even at war. For 14 years, God allowed us to serve up in the mountains of Sanare, a humble place where we start the Open Door Baptist Church. Now, this is a ministry that have worked within the community through the Feed the Children ministry. We have served the hospitals, preaching the gospel to doctors, to nurses, to patients. We have also helped the need the ones that are homeless, the people in extreme poverty, by providing clothes and shoes and all kinds of donations that we receive from churches and families and friends that want to help out. This ministry up in Sanare have also been a training center for Venezuelan people that have surrendered for full-time ministry. And they are now serving the Lord as missionaries overseas, as well as national pastors that are now taking on and carrying on the ministry. Mid-2020s, God allowed our whole family to relocate to the city of Barquisimeto. It is the fourth largest city in Venezuela. And uh, we began visiting several national pastors and their churches, preaching, uh, being invited over. And uh, the question started arising, what was the greatest success you had working up in Sanare? And uh, we had discovered, we realized as we worked in Sanare that to have a strong church, you have to have strong families. And to have strong families, you need to have strong marriages. And uh, marriages are under attack a lot in our churches. So I was encouraging pastors to establish strong marriages and work with the couples. So I got invited a lot with my wife to go and teach marital seminars. But then we began encouraging pastors to go a little further than that. And that it was to, to disciple the couples 
to work with the couples, not only before they got married, but even after they got married, several years into marriage, to invest time in preparing them how to be husbands, how to be wives, according to the Bible. And as we did this, and as we, we taught pastors and invested in their churches, God started to lay a burden on a specific area of the city of Barquisimeto to start a new church plant. We started Bible studies around the city and we did them in garages and patios and front porches of different church members until God provided a place where we now call and gather as Anchor Baptist Church. We have improved our property little by little as the church has grown faster than we anticipated. What is our greatest need right now? Our greatest need right now is more room. We're thankful the church has grown a lot faster than we expected, and that is because of God's grace. But the children's classes are all crammed, and the teenagers have started to grow quite fast. So we're praying to, be, to build five new Sunday school classes, large rooms that will serve for church on Sunday, but also for the Bible Institute we want to start next year, a place where we can train the men and women that God is calling to the ministry. There are still so many places without churches in Venezuela. So our desire is to serve God, helping national pastors to receive proper training, to help out uh, leaders and Sunday school teachers to be well prepared to serve and to answer the call that God is giving them to go around Venezuela or around the world preaching the gospel. Don't stop praying for the ministry in Venezuela and for the incredible opportunity that God has given us as a family to serve and to remain in a country that is so hungry for the gospel. Only Christ is the hope for the Venezuelan people, the hope for salvation, and the hope for lives to be transformed. So with your help, and with your prayers, our family can continue to serve the Lord for many We just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us throughout these years. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for giving so that we can go and do what God has called us to do. God bless you. So that video's on our webpage. This is still on, right? Uh, our video's on the webpage, uh, nathanrc.com or you can go to YouTube and watch those videos as well. But uh, as, as I shared, our greatest needs right now are, we need a, some sound system for the church. As it grew, I bought these two little speakers for our Bible studies, and uh, then that, that is at its max, and we cannot use them anymore. Barely can hear anything going on at church. And we're trying to build these Sunday school classrooms and some bathrooms for the church. Right now we have two toilets, uh, for over 200 people coming, and that's become quite interesting. <laughs> so pray for the Venezuelan people, pray for the situation down in Venezuela, and pray for us as a family as we're trying to fulfill God's calling. Uh, a lot of people ask me when, I, when I'm at churches, so I'll try to answer this ahead of time, what's, what's the biggest struggles down there, or what would you face, what opposition, and so forth. The honest truth is, as a Christian, who doesn't identify as an American because we don't stick out as an American there. So people don't label me that if I, unless I go around saying, hey, here's my passport. Um, they wouldn't notice it by my accent. All my family has a Venezuelan nationality. I'm the only one with a resident visa. The only issues that happen really is when I have to renew papers. 
Uh, the government has put up an opposition every time. So before I got a five-year visa, and the last two times that I've gone to renew that five-year visa, they've said, no, we're going to give you a one-year extension, and then you have to go back home. Every single time I sign up for that one-year extension and then get a five-year visa, the person giving it to me is blown away. How did you get this? We're not issuing these anymore. But by God's grace, we have gotten visas to stay in the country legally, and we've told this to God several times in prayer. God, I don't want to be in Venezuela as an illegal, so if you're having us here, please give us the proper paperwork. So we've had a lot of missionaries have to leave the country because of paperwork, uh, but we have been blessed. God has given us an opportunity to renew. The last time I went, they gave me the five-year visa. The person, I then had to get an ID, and I walked up and I said, okay, I got my, my visa already. Can I get my ID? She's like, well, you have to get the visa. I said, I just said I got the visa. Well, let me see it. She rips my passport and looks at it. Where did you get this? This has to be illegal. And I go, no, I... I went to the office, I asked for it, it was sent in. Actually, beginning of COVID, I requested it, and after COVID, I got it. So she was like, this, this has to be fake, and she's taking pictures and calling the Caracas, the capital, and so forth. So she's like, hey, come back in a month, I'll, I'll see if this is legal or not. But thank God, a week later, we got called to another office, and there we got an ID card, and we were able to even come here without no problem of returning back to the country. So we're thankful because in that sense, God has been protecting us and having our back. But as far as ministry is concerned, I believe we have more open doors there sometimes than I see happening here in the United States. So uh, we're thankful for what God is doing and thankful for the opportunity to minister and thankful to be able to be here today and just share with you a little bit of what's going on down in Venezuela and what God has called us to do. Does um, anybody have a question before I close? Any any observation, anything to ask, I would be glad to answer that. Yes, sir. Okay, so Venezuela is a socialist nation. You hear a lot about this in the news. There's a lot of uh, changes in the country, and obviously the government will take over every large grocery store and any large businesses. So the electrical, the gas, uh, oil companies, everything has been taken over by the government, and they will equally distribute the goods among the nation, right? Um, so basically everything the government takes over, they run down to the ground. So a lot of the infrastructure of the nation, electrical grid, uh, the distribution of gas, which doesn't come through pipes to most of the nation, most people have to look for it with these cylinders, large cylinders for their homes, and that's what they use mostly to cook with. It's, it's just worn down, a lot of people struggle. With it. So Venezuelan people have been very resilient. They've tried to find ways around this. Lately, the biggest uh, benefit has been a sad thing. Venezuela's going through a large exile, a lot of people leaving the country. So almost everybody in the nation has somebody outside who is somehow sending some type of help into the country. So that gives a lot of the people who are struggling a breather and a lot of money or dollars are coming into the country. I use Zelle, which is a bank transfer that you can do through a phone number or an email address from one bank, from one American bank to another bank. I use it in Venezuela all the time. I'll go to the bread store and I'll go to pay for my bread and my coffee and I'll say, do you have Zelle? And they say, yes. So I'll Zelle them in US dollars, whatever. So $6 for the coffee and the bread. So get on my phone, what's the Zelle address? I'll put it in because they have somebody over there who has an American bank address and so they'll 
rather have the money in U.S. dollars, which won't devaluate like the Venezuelan currency. So I, I use Zelle almost 80, 90% of the time for everything there. That's given the country a breather from all the, the corners they have to cut with the government to try to get anything done. Uh, but in general, it's usually the poor people who don't have connections, who, don't, who suffer the most. And there's a lot of people in that situation, a lot of poverty, a lot of need. But how does that affect us? The country is going down and going down quickly, but God has shown grace and people have tried to find different ways around these things. Any other question? And I hope I answered that. Yes, sir, brother. Yes, I would find more antagonism from the Roman Catholics than uh, from the government. So, for example, during COVID, uh, they locked the country down almost right at the beginning of 2020. There weren't very many cases of COVID in the country. The reason they locked down was because they weren't paying the teachers what they deserved. And they were going to riot. It was going to be a big riot. The country was organizing to riot. So before they did that, they were like, oh, COVID's here. Everybody locked down. Nobody leaves their house. So they controlled gasoline. They controlled the streets. They controlled everything. This is the way they were manipulating the situation. So the only thing you could do was buy foot at certain hours of the day, go and buy at grocery stores. You had to order by phone ahead of time and just pick up your groceries and go home. So that they controlled everything that way. This is the socialist government doing this. Now, I went up to the authorities of the government and said, listen, I'm down in the city. I want to go up to the mountains. I want to take food, some donations that came in. And I said, my assistant pastor, Pastor Julio, he's a psychologist also. And we want to visit some people who are struggling with depression with this. Well, these people are very humane and said, my mother's struggling with depression too. She said, could you visit my mother? She lives up in the mountain too. We did. We got to visit some people. We got open door. So the, the government actually sees what we're doing. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure. As long as we follow their guidelines and we stick with rules and uh, we don't usually have any issue. I've only had ever one uh, national guard look at my ID when stopped me in the car and can I have your ID? And oh, you're American. What are you doing here? He was first shocked, and then that, that socialist side in him, it's like, we don't need you in our country. You can leave. And threw the ID card back in my car, and I drove away. I've told that to several Venezuelans, and they're infuriated by that. Now, I have walked by Catholics and heard them whispering my last name. Oh, those are the RCs, the RC family. So my dad's been there for a while, and my dad's church uh, has, my dad only planted one church himself, but then with the Bible college, that's planted 70 plus churches around the country. They, they know who my dad is. When I was meeting my wife, uh, she studied in a Catholic school. So when she was 17, graduating from high school, I was invited as somebody who was her friend. We were just friends. Um, I was invited to her graduation. And when I went, she was gonna introduce me to the guy in charge of her school, with the Catholic school. And she says, oh, hi, Margie. Oh, I know who he is. That's an RC boy, and turned around and walked away from me. So they know who we are. They'll put things up on the newspaper sometimes to try to uh, bash the ministry there. But uh, mostly uh, the sad thing is when we'll visit a house and that family has something to do with the Catholic church, uh, a Catholic uh, member will show up and be like, if you have anything to do with them, well, you're excommunicated from the church. You'll have nothing to do. So these people then are afraid to have any relationship. And this happens a lot more in the city than it does up in the mountains. But yeah, we've, we're seeing some of that.
Thank you for that question. Anything else? Don't want to take up too much time. Pastor, you stop me if it gets too late. Anybody else? Awesome. How much time do I have, Pastor? Five more minutes. I'll challenge you with just a story that I like from the Bible. If you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, and I promise I won't be long. You can time me and you can come up here, Pastor. (laughs) Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. That's Acts chapter three, verse four. Peter and John have been given the great commission to go into all the world and to preach Jesus Christ and his salvation to the world. And here they are, as custom is, going up to pray at the time of prayer. And I would like to encourage you briefly, not the main point, but briefly, Don't ever leave prayer to the side of your life. Make it central, make it important because praying will always move our heart to be in line with God's will for our life. And I think that's one of the main reasons God established prayer in our life. And it's not to move God's heart, but to move ours to be in line with God. And here they are looking for God, seeking God in prayer. And as they're seeking God, God, what would you have us do? Somebody's there with a need. And there's always needs all around us. Don't get so busy that you don't notice the needs around you. But here's a need that they saw daily at the gate of the temple. And it's harder to notice needs when you see them all the time. Maybe I show up and share the need for Venezuela, but sometimes you get so accustomed to hearing all these needs, all these things. And it's like, yeah, it's just one more need. Just keep your mom going. I mean, there's going to be one there tomorrow. And in Venezuela, there's a lot of beggars, a lot of people begging, always asking. You stop at a red light, somebody's going to knock on your window, is going to ask for money. Somebody's going to fight with somebody out to wash your windshield just to ask for money for doing that. I don't know if you've been to a third world country, if even that's happened here. But they are wanting something. You'll sit at a restaurant and kids will run up and ask if they can have some money. You see so much fake uh, beggars, some people who are being manipulated, or other people using money for drugs or for other things, that your heart honestly gets calloused. You go, I don't know if this is real, I don't know if this is genuine. So you, you question things, and at first maybe your heart was moved, the second time you question it, the third time it's just bother, fourth or fifth time, you're, you're just trying to ignore it. So when I read Peter, who had to have known this culture, where there's always beggar around, you don't look at a need, Peter stops and looks at this guy. But not only looks at the guy, the, the verse says here, Peter and John fastening his eyes upon them said, look on us, look, look at us, pay attention to what I'm going to do. And the man's not only, if you read verse 5, he's not only looking at him, he's now expecting. He went from hoping to expecting something. And Peter says, I have no money on me. <laughs> oh, a little bit of a letdown there. Probably like, move, move along, man. I mean, some people passed you by, could have asked them for some money. Why are you stopping to talk to me if you don't have any money? But Peter says, I don't have silver or gold or anything that I can offer that will solve your problem, but I do know somebody and have a relationship with somebody. I know his name and it's the name above every other name. It's the name of Jesus. 
He says, let me share Jesus with you. And under the authority of Jesus, this man's life was changed. He went there that morning hoping to get maybe supper, lunch, and left with a life changed. But it started with a person saying, I see this. Let me share you, with you the solution above every other solution, which is Jesus. My point is, around you every day, every single day, there are needs, and you will either ignore them, pretend to not see them, or get so busy that you have no time for them. But God has given you something to give. You have something to give. Whether it be finances, whether it be a verse, whether it be a moment to stop and pray, or just be a friend to somebody, but you have a neighbor, you have a family member, you have somebody that you're going, that person's in trouble, but I'll let somebody else deal with this. But we are supposed to be that post that says, hey, look at me, look at, what does a, saint, what does a sign do? A sign doesn't change anybody's life, but it points to the right direction. Our lives will not make a difference in somebody's life. I have nothing to give is a true statement, but I have something that I can share with you and I can point you to the person who can make a difference in your life. And if in your life you're getting so busy that you're not doing these things, and that is to make sure that you see the need and you point that need to the right direction, and that is to Jesus, then what are, what are we doing at church? Why are we here? I have something to give. Challenges my heart. So many times we think, what am I gonna give? And there, to be honest, this is a very rich nation, and most of us have a lot to give. But when it comes to sharing one-on-one, -on -one, we question, we go, this is pastor job. The, the pastoral team will deal with this. Somebody at church can do this better than I can. And it's true, but God called you, and he wants you to be a sign for others to know how to get to Jesus. Make sure your, your life is always, always pointing people to Jesus. And my life testimony, or my life verse, goes back to John chapter 1 when Andrew is bringing his brother Peter to Jesus. He tells him about Jesus and Peter doesn't believe him and he says, and he brought him to Jesus. Verse 40, chapter one, verse 40, 41. And as he's bringing him to Jesus, says Jesus met him and changes his name and his life is no longer the same. And I don't want in our lives that we ever think that we have to do great things for God because it's never about us. The focus should never be about me. It's always about what he can do. But our life, our life serves the purpose of being a sign to point to the right direction. And people need to see a sign. They need to see your life. And we need to stand up in a world where Christians are hiding and say, look at me. I have something to share with you. And I hope that is your desire today. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to share with this beautiful church that has loved us for so many years has watched out for us, who has called us, who has written to us, who has received us with love and care every time we've been back home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for families and friends away from home who always have us. Like today, hearing we pray for you daily. You're on our mind often. Thank you for that, Lord. That means the world to us. Thank you for this beautiful church. Bless them in a mighty way. But Lord, give them that heart. Always be a sign to not look away from needs, but to stand up in the middle of a world that is lost and trying to find their way and say, let me point you to the right direction. Let me point you 
to Jesus. Thank you, God. Bless these people and bless the people in Venezuela, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate that. And as we uh, are encouraged here this morning to think about our own examples, our own testimony, our own lives, I want to do something very similar in the same way that he was challenged as a young man. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and maybe you've struggled with the doubts, you've struggled with your personal relationship with him, I hope that before you leave today that you'll search someone out to talk to me. Uh, you talk to Fred, even Nathan. I'd be more than happy to explain from God's word what it truly means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If anything else, I hope that God will stir our hearts to recognize how dynamic he is when we let him be seen and how truly wonderful he is in the way he transforms our lives. Fred's going to come and lead us in a song as we get ready to close, and then Kelly will come up with a few very quick announcements, and then we probably have a, a brief time of fellowship back there. But uh, let's enjoy a time of reflection upon these things that God has shared with us here this morning. Let's stand together, Gary Wood. Stand with me, please. Christ alone. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still and striving cease.
Okay, church, just some quick announcements. I'm waiting on my phone to recognize me. Thank you. There we go. So uh, thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Kelly O'Rear. I am the discipleship pastor here at Grace. And just a few quick announcements before we go out the door. Um, first, just to highlight some things in your bulletin and remind you that um, uh, if you haven't already seen it, there's a lot of important things in there today. As mentioned, uh, Pastor Adam talked about the prayer card. Uh, there's a page with announcements. Also, we want to remind you that today is the last day that Grace Group signups will be on the table out there. So if you've got any questions, please see me. I'll be there in just a second. Um, trick or treat invitation. There's also a trunk or treat invitation in your bulletin. There's also some more out there on the table. If you want to invite friends or neighbors, if you need more of these, then come see me out there. We'll take care of that. And then finally, and I'm reading my script straight here, um, car line care. Um, lastly, we want you to know about an exciting event that will be taking place this week that you might have noticed in the coming up section of your bulletin. This Thursday morning, a good number of our members at Grace will be ministering to parents at our academy and our, of our academy students in the morning car line. They're going to be giving out donuts and water. You have to have a child. You have to be driving. Some of you are like, I'm there. Um, they are going to be giving out donuts and water during the morning drop-off as an expression of love and care for them. If you would like to join them at 7 a.m. this Thursday, October 19th, please let Tom Crum know today. Tom, where are you? Can you raise your hand? Okay, so Tom, back there, if you'll find Tom, if you would like to be a part of that. Uh, that way they can plan effectively um, and know, uh, know who all is going to be there. So um, praise God for an example and a challenge of just being faithful where you've been put and looking for God working around you. So church, if you'll stand, you are dismissed. Thank you.